Pilot Boys in the building. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. I am Mecca Don here with my co-host, V. Today is April 2nd, 2020. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know you could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. We are still quarantined and social distancing due to this coronavirus pandemic, but we are doing our best to bring you a show at all costs. On today's show, we will talk to my brother, an ER doctor and lawyer, Dr. O.K. Onyejekwa, about what he's seeing on the front lines of the battle with COVID-19. We will also do some news and notes of popular sports, music, and pop culture stories from around the country, from the Michael Jordan docuseries, Bo Jackson, IG Live producer battles, NCAA eligibility, Nipsey Hussle, Tiger King, Ohio State, and more. Shout out to our Patreon subscribers. Remember now that our $5 and up Patreon subscribers will get our episodes on Wednesdays a night early. These donations help keep our show going. If you want to help keep us on air, you can donate at www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys Podcast. Let's go. Where the Pilot Boys at? Listen to the Pilot Boys podcast. Our next guest is actually my brother, but more importantly than being my brother, <laughs> he actually has a lot of credentials that I think are very important. One, he's a physician. Uh, went to the Ohio State University for his undergrad and med school. Did his residency at Columbia University, and he's also a lawyer. Uh, went to Stanford University and is barred in California. Please welcome to the show, Okay, on the deck way. Hey, what's bro. up? What's up? Go Bucks! Yo, it's so, like, like the Cuomo, Cuomo brother thing going on right now. The, the Cuomo brother, real man. Right, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. So we're going we're gonna to jump right into it, man, because, you know, obviously right now we're all kind of quarantined. We're all a little bit on lockdown. And, uh, you know, it's, it's very confusing kind of what's going on. Obviously, we're getting bits and pieces of information from news media, and our local governments, and obviously national government. A lot of it doesn't necessarily seem to be cohesive. And the reality is that, you know, I think we're in a situation where a lot of what we do individually affects the collective. And so I kind of wanted to ask, you know, more specific questions just to kind of give people a little bit more insight on what it is that is actually going on and what it is that we should be doing from somebody who's actually involved and someone who is on the front line. Um, so I guess my first question is, you know, you are, on the, you are on the front lines of this thing right now. You are an ER doctor in California. California is one of the states that's being, you know, hit the hardest by this. Tell us some of the things that you're seeing and dealing with that you feel like maybe the average citizen probably does not know. Okay, sure. Yes, I am in, in California. I am uh, uh, an attending physician in an ER here in Palo Alto, which is in Santa Clara County. I believe the last numbers that I saw with respect to Santa Clara County is that uh, we have the second highest number of, of COVID-19 cases in California, uh, behind LA County. Um, so it's, it's affecting us here. I can tell you on the front lines, uh, the, there, there are a number of issues and you've probably heard variations of, of most of these, but I can tell you speaking firsthand, the, the, one of the big issues is the providers are concerned about their own safety, right? So we see, we are, 
taking extraordinary uh, measures that I really haven't seen um, in my entire time of practicing. We're, we're reusing uh, masks as needed. We are sterilizing every single thing that we, we touch. Uh, I basically go through, um, it's almost like a, like a ballet of, of sterilization when I get to the, to the hospital wiping down my workstation and wiping down um, my my phone, all the doors, all the chairs. This is what every provider is doing because we're not superhuman. We're, we're just as susceptible to the coronavirus as anyone else. So there's that kind of fear, uh, anxiety, concern. Um, as you know, we're undersupplied. It's not just us. It's, it's around, the, around the country and around the world. Um, we... Um, we are. We know we're under resourced if we get hit with um, with, with bigger numbers. We we we've seen that in New York City already. Everybody's aware of this. Uh, we're making decisions now and having discussions now um, that are discussions that are difficult to have. Which, for example, what do we do um, if we have to choose between? Uh, a patient who um, needs a ventilator for for um, a different respiratory issue, and between a patient who needs a ventilator for um, for COVID-19, how are we going to make those decisions? How are we going to make those decisions ahead of time? Who are we going to send home? Um, uh, people who we know uh, are infected. Who are we going to send home? Who are we going to keep in the hospital? We can't keep everyone so these in the are, hospital. So these are yeah. real discussions because real, I think you know. Let's, let's start here, there too, because. You know, a lot of times people think that those things are being sensationalized a little bit on, on Twitter or they're not real or it's just, wow, that's not really what, what how it happens. But, you know, you're telling us that is really how it happens. And these are discussions you have to have. If anything, if anything, and I, and I, and I mean this seriously, it's being underreported. Mm-hmm. The, the, the real conversations, I mean, I cannot emphasize this enough, the real conversations. Again, remember, mo, mo, many of us have kids at home. Um, many of us are are um, we're, are not sheltered in place like like um, m- most of the country is right now, right? So right. most of the frontline workers are actually going out to work every day. We're not going out to work every day by ourselves. We're going out to work every day in a place where people are coming to us with suspicion or actual diagnosis of COVID-19. So mm-hmm. it's not even like a situation where you may be going um, – in, you know, any any other number of jobs where people are still having to go out and work, so that's real. I mean, that's that's just. Uh, I don't think the media will ever be able to capture that. Then the and second I, piece of it that I think is real, uh, really quickly, is that is that this, these decisions of what to do and and how to um, who you're going to manage when uh, a capacity crunch hits are very real discussions. These the, the, these discussions are happening every day, and they're grim. And, you know, touching back on the frontline workers, right, you guys are the country's line of defense in treating people with this issue. You know, we touched on the lack of supplies. It would seem like it would be imperative um, since, you know, there are not there are only so many doctors and nurses. Um, Are you facing issues um, within the hospital with staff um, getting the disease yet? Um, where where you work, and if if so, um, is there continue to be a supply shortage of masks? Um, have or have they started to rectify those situation, masks and gloves and, and protective equipment? 
we, we had early issues with supplies. Um, we were behind uh, when this thing first hit. It started to improve a little bit, as I understand. And again, remember, this stuff changes in real time. Um, but as I understood from the briefing we got yesterday, we have a two-week supply left, and we expect to have that replenished. But, if, but as of today, it's two weeks. Um, we're also seeing with staff, basically any of our staff that um, – that has uh, suspicious uh, symptoms or um, a concerning exposure is being sent home for quarantine for 14 days. And so, you know, um, and we've, and that has happened. Um, we have, uh, <clears throat> so you can imagine what it means to send uh, even one uh, frontline worker home for 14 days during this pandemic. Um, that's a, that, that's a big hit. And if we get hit harder, uh, you know, as, as we are dealing with and everyone else is dealing with, it will be unsustainable. Well, that's why I think, you know, first of all, this is, this is very important because I think people need to really understand part of what, why, why the social distancing thing is important. Right. And I think, you know, maybe it's been, you know, the, the word itself or the term itself has been widely reported, but I think that the, the critical understanding of why it's necessary is something that I think is still developing, to be honest. I think some people still don't necessarily understand. And one thing that you kind of just made very clear to me is that what happens if the people on the front line, you know, the doctors, the nurses, the medical staff, what happens if you guys start to get sick? And even if you guys overcome it, because it's not just about who's dying, right? It's also about, you know, people who are sick and have to be quarantined for 14 days. What happens if you, you guys are understaffed and, and, and people are getting sick sicker at a higher rate because this thing is on the incline as as we talk today what happens then well let let me give a very you know um and i'll admit selfish kind of plea out there for people who may be frustrated with social distancing it's frustrating for everybody it's just something to think about the 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 you know we're still getting data on on just the actual lethality of the COVID-19 virus itself, right? So that data is still coming in. The data is showing that it is more by itself, more lethal than, for example, flu, right? But what we're really finding out is that the, the, the issue is one of, of speed. The virus moves quickly. And so you can very rapidly overwhelm the resources you have to deal with it. If, we could, if, if this was a slow-moving virus, we could, in theory... Uh, take the sickest people, get them hospitalized, get them on on vents with vents to spare, treat them for the 10 to 14 days that it would take to treat them, get them back out, and probably see a, a, a fairly manageable number of, of respiratory issues um, and deaths. But because it spreads so fast, at any given time, there's a potential that that, can, that that can be overwhelmed. So here's the thing from a frontline provider's perspective that uh, matters with respect to social distancing. Every single time somebody comes to to an ER or to a clinic, that person is potentially, uh, uh, you know, putting the staff at risk. Every single time we um, have somebody who goes out and has a barbecue and and and, and parties at the beach and um, disregards quarantine orders, those people. Those people may not be show symptoms, but they may hand it off to somebody who does, who then presents to our uh, emergency room 
with symptoms and puts all of us at risk. And so when we, when we uh, see people blatantly violating uh, stay-at-home orders or quarantine orders, when we see people um, blatantly um, doing sort of mocking things like uh, coughing on food or, or you know, the other some of the stuff that you've you know, seen on, on the Internet, for us, it is, it is scary because we know at some point in time we're going to deal with the downstream effects of that. So it, even even if it frustrates you personally to stay at home, which I understand, and even if it frustrates you personally to abide by these orders, the people who are going to be out there having to deal with with a, your decision not to do that are us. And we're not going to be asking the question when you come to the ER, did you quarantine? We're just going to treat you like we treat everyone else. So um, that's, that's kind of my selfish plea, which is that just give us some time to stay ahead of this thing. Help us, help us keep in front of this virus so that we can have the capacity that we need to take care of it and, um, and do that. If you can't do that because you care you know, necessarily about the society in, in general, do that because you care about the frontline providers who are basically putting their lives at risk dealing with this. And, and, and piggybacking on that, um, it seems you know we've talked to a few people who actually have have gotten COVID-19 and it's not something that you would want to have, right? If, if you can tell us about right. some of the unpleasantries that, that people will deal with if they do face some of the more severe symptoms um, that come with that, come with this, this disease beyond just the dry cough and a headache and a temperature. Yeah. I mean, so th- th- that's, that's a really good point because it's, we're talking about certainly mortality, right? And if you if you just want to focus on who's dying, you can look at it that way. But that's not how um, that's not how that's not really a proper view of public health and healthcare generally. It's also the people who are actually sick and dealing with you know uh, the symptoms of the illness. the The thing about the thing about COVID nineteen that makes it difficult to manage uh, is that for the people who become the sickest, so they're the so the, the baseline people, those sort of moderately healthy with very few um, uh, additional comorbidities, those people tend to do okay. But even them, they're going to deal with fever. They're going to deal with cough. They're going to feel pretty miserable for, uh, for about 10 days, uh, 10 to 14 days. The people who get the sickest are going to present with the type of respiratory collapse that even without COVID-19 is difficult to deal with. I mean, the mechanism that we understand COVID-19 to um, the, the most lethal mechanism is when it progresses into something we call uh, ARDS, which is basically acute respiratory distress syndrome. It's essentially a collapse of your of your lung capacity. Your lungs just don't function properly. It's not like asthma, um, which we can do things to kind of open up the airway. We can put a breathing tube in. Even with the breathing tube in place on a ventilator, if your lungs aren't aren't able to to uh, move oxygen back and forth efficiently, which is what happens with, with again, this is a simplification, but which is what happens with COVID-19. Even with the ventilator, um, you uh, are going to struggle. And so that's why you're seeing, and, and it's, it's miserable, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's a miserable way to, um, to, you know, it's a miserable 10 days, 14 days to spend, um, certainly if you're not ventilated, um, and, 
it is a very scary time for the people who, who, who are ventilated, for the, for the ICU team of clinicians who's handling these patients. It's very scary because ARDS is tough to treat always. And we know that it has a very high mortality rate um, always. And because COVID-19 tends to progress into either ARDS itself for all practical purposes or something very close to that, it is uh, extremely scary. So it's not something you want to get. It's not something you want to sort of tempt and, 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 and play around with. And again, the other, the other issue is we don't really have real good, what we call pretest probability of who's likely up front looking at them saying this person's likely the one to progress to ARDS and who's not. We just don't know that. We've seen in all, in all age demographics, people get hit and suffer the respiratory failure in all age demographics, right? So, um, so yeah, so very, very unpleasant illness to deal with for sure. Okay. Um, and, and kind of in, in terms of the treatment, obviously, because you, you touched on it now, the treatment for this, this disease. And again, why social distancing is, is important. Like what, why we're looking at, what we're looking at in terms of a timeline, um, to, to, to find some reliable treatment for this and, and, and how that will help the overall scenario and the importance of buying time. Yeah, I mean, I, I would look at it this way. So in November of 2019, the world never knew that this virus existed. Probably, you know, somewhere around that time, this virus uh, made its way into the human population for the first time that anyone's aware of. Yes. So nobody's been working on this. Nobody's been developing anything for this. This is all taking place over these, you know, sort of very accelerated several months. We have some treatments that are uh, experimental that have, we have some anecdotes of, of working. I, I caution people uh, not to be overly optimistic with anecdotes. We, almost any um, treatment that you've heard of, even the ones that have been failed and have been toxic and lethal, had anecdotal evidence of working, you know, in a small population. It's not really until you get to population-wide hundreds of thousands, um, in many cases, millions of people before you can really understand the benefit of something um, and the risks. So you're seeing already we've had some short-term approvals um, from the FDA that have accelerated in so, almost in a humanitarian way use of, of, of drugs we've had for a while, um, like hydrochloroquine, uh, to um, to as, as basically a, a last-ditch effort to try to use in a situation where, you, where nothing else is working. But I caution people to not be overly optimistic with that. Same with vaccination. Vaccination, um, even if a candidate was to appear today that was a viable candidate, um, you couldn't just uh, put that out in the population right now. We have to, we have to know that by giving that vaccine, we're not going to do um, some long-term damage 18 months from now, two years from now, et cetera. The vaccines that we use, you know, most of the childhood vaccines, for example, they've been studied for so long, we know what the risk profile for them is. So even yes. if a vaccine were to emerge today, it would take, you know, it's probably 18 months before you could ever have any confidence that you could get it out to the population um, safely. So, so the short answer, the short answer is that, that, that while treatment, that while there are some treatment options that look promising, we're not at a point yet where um, anyone's thinking that we're just going to start handing out 
pills or vaccines and, and get rid of this thing uh, tomorrow. This, this has all been really, really great info. You know, the takeaways for the audience is to stay at home, um, take care of your frontline workers because we need them and make their jobs easier. Um, but transitioning a little bit, you know, just to the other side of your 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 career, the, the legal side of this, um, we're curious to hear what you see some of the, the big legal challenges or that will come up as a result of COVID-19 that you see uh, either now or that are going to be coming down the pipeline. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. So one, I'll say they, they, they go hand in hand, right? So the longer this thing lasts, the more types of legal issues we're going to see. But I can tell you one, one big one um, I, I, that, that is going to come is we're going to see um, there's going to be some significant economic fallout. People are going to lose jobs. They're going to be layoffs. Um, and those, uh, uh, and many people are going to, um, as a result of that, going to struggle to, to get healthcare and going to have to make some even tougher healthcare decisions. So there's that, that's definitely coming. That's, um, and happening already in California, for example, um, amongst some of the good things that California has, has done, uh, with respect to the, to, uh, the stay-at-home orders and whatnot have also allowed for employers to to waive the normal um, statutory requirements for the amount of time it takes to to, to lay off an employee, right? So uh, if, you, if you're doing mass layoffs in California, it, it used to require a waiting period that's been waived now. So oh, wow. um, so oh yeah, something that the employers pushed for and got, and um, so there's that issue. There are going to be contracts. Um, between entities that are going to be breached, um, that are already in breach. You know, you can, every, everything from Hollywood contracts to start movie production. Um, uh, uh, an actor signs a contract, says we're going to pay you this amount of money, we're going to start shooting this day. That contract void now. Who, 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 who's, going to, who's going to cover the damages for that? Is it going to be the, the actor that's going to have to eat that? Is it going to be the studio? So you can see that. You can see that situation with um, rent. And, and leases, office spaces that are sitting empty right now, entirely unoccupied. Uh, companies are paying for a lease at the, the space they're not using. Uh, those uh, leases are going to increasingly um, lead to litigation. There'll be breaches there. So these, these are, you know, these are we're going to see um, uh, investor lawsuits um, from people who feel like they're. Um, Projections were 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 misleading, or um, or maybe there was was insider information that wasn't shared. Whole number of things. I mean, this is going to be a field day for for um, for litigators for 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 years to come, right? So the fallout from this uh, is going to be it's going to be pretty heavy. Think of all the TV deals that are that are canceled now. Yeah. Respect to sports, um, for example. You know, someone's got to pay for that. I mean, none of these things are, these things don't just, people don't just walk away, shake hands and say, look, well, you know, we did our best. Someone's going to say, hey, look, uh, you owe me. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think we've been hearing a lot um, generally about these act of God provisions that are typically in, in, in contracts. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, could you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So some, some contracts um, have, Provisions, um, they're called force majeure provisions. I don't remember the, uh, 
the origin uh, enough. I've certainly forgotten my Latin from high school, but um, or French or whatever it is. But anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, they have these provisions in there that um, allow for uh, suspension of the contract terms in the event of something akin to an act of God. So, um, which this certainly would qualify as, you know, a pandemic, uh, a tornado, you know, something like that, hurricane. So those, those, those provisions are in there. But, but, but keep in mind, that still requires interpretation as to, as to what that is. It still requires a showing that you were affected, right? So, you know, it, it may take an office lease, for example, um, and you, 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 shelter, you, you were told that you had to shelter at home. Well, um, there's there's certainly an argument that can be made that well, um, you if you were a healthcare worker, for example, or you were you were physician's office, you could have come in because you were an essential worker. You could have come in and used the space. You chose to stay at home, um, etc. So you can see how lawyers can even with those clauses uh, make arguments, and 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 many modern contracts don't have those clauses in them at all, right? Yes. Like, or they or they expressly say. I think it was the South by Southwest example that I saw recently where they actually have in their um, in their license agreements with the end user uh, the purchase of the tickets, even under acts of God, your tickets will not be refundable. So you're going to see litigation over things like that as well, right? Um, yes, it's, uh, we've got a big mess ahead of us. Um, definitely want to thank you for taking the time um, and thank you for your work on the front lines. Uh, this conversation obviously is going to be the first of many. We look forward to having you back uh, throughout this throughout this time. I appreciate you ha- making the time to to talk to our audience about what's going on. Yeah, thank you. Happy to do it anytime. All right. Take care. Take care. Love the Pilot Boys podcast? Support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as $1. We have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash pilot boys podcast show us some love today you're listening to the pilot boys podcast episode 21 time for some news and notes e, first before we get some news and notes man that was that was really good uh content with my brother man i mean you know we always obviously have these conversations privately with him but i think it was good for us to bring it to the podcast yeah yeah it was great i mean i think it's important for everyone out there to hear from people who are ex- having real experience with this disease so that they can get a greater understanding of why everything that's happening is happening and why to stay your ass at home. <laughs> right. I, and speaking of that, before we jump into some of the more sports and pop culture stuff, you know, national social distancing, you know, has been extended from the, the government, the national government uh, until April 30th. I personally believe that number is going to be extended even further than that. Um, the, the states are kind of being more restrictive, like we said in June. Uh, or in June. In Virginia, they've extended theirs to June 10th. Ohio is, you know, pretty much till May 1st, but I think that's probably going to extend, be extended a little bit longer. Um, what do you feel about social distancing? Like personally, not like the concept of it, but like personally, you at home, social distancing, how do you feel like on a day-to-day basis doing it? I actually don't mind it. You know, I, I do have a kind of an introvert side of my personality. Um, it's given me an opportunity to, to have time to, to read and absorb new knowledge and learn about new things. So, um, and then with, with the connectivity of, of the digital world, you know, with FaceTime and phone calls, text messaging, I'm able to actually have 
conversations with people uh, that are usually typically too busy or I'm too busy to have conversations with. So, you know, that's my personal experience. I know that this is challenging, especially for people who are very social and engaging, engage in in a lot of social activities. Um, But, you know, this is something that we're all equipped for as human beings and take advantage of it. Yeah. Um, And I think, I think for me, I think the balance of, you know, obviously spending, you know, time with my family, which is always important and, um, you know, but obviously trying to keep this show going, you know, I've, as people can tell, you know, we're calling in to kind of keep the show going to make sure we social distance properly. And, you know, obviously, you know, balancing even on social media, you know, the need for, for sports and, and, you know, fun content, but also the need for seriousness and making sure that we do use our platform for good, not to cause panic, but to make sure that we are bringing, you know, good content. Like, for example, what we, we brought today, um, the coronavirus obviously has extended into sports. Uh, one of the things that's it's extended into is um, NCAA, right? So a lot of the, you know, the spring athletes, for example, their seasons were cut short. A lot of them before they even got a chance to start um, winter athletes seasons were absolutely cut short. They definitely didn't get a chance to get in the championship season. Uh, but the NCAA this week officially granted spring athletes another year of eligibility, um, which is a great sign, you know, a great thing, but you know, then comes the question of, well, what are, what about the individual schools? Are they going to provide, uh, aid for them if they come back. Um, Ohio State is one of the leaders. They came back and said they will provide aid for their spring athletes that come back next year. I assume that a lot of the big programs will follow suit. But one of the most glaring issues is that um, winter athletes are not getting this additional year of eligibility. And I think that's one of the saddest things to me about this is that, you know, you know, for people who needed kind of, you know, who have aspirations of going pro or aspirations of using, you know, whatever the championship season would have brought for them, for their for the next step in their careers, they're not going to get that opportunity. Oh, or even if it was really their last hurrah, and they weren't going to go to the next level. Um, yes. To to have that taken away, I know Ohio State with with March Madness, um, we had a couple seniors um, that weren't going to get the get the opportunity. And our women's basketball team actually was going in with a ton of momentum. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, it's it's definitely tough, but I mean I think these situations, as always, are for these kids are are going to be something in, in in the long haul of their life is going to be something that they learn valuable lessons from, and yeah. and hopefully hopefully helps them in the long run. That, that's absolutely true. So we'll see again um, as this as this thing continues to develop, we will see you know how this affects people. And again, you know it's great that you have another year of eligibility, for example, but you know, not everybody's life is set up around eligibility. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that's a whole other year that if you had plans of moving somewhere or you had a job potentially lined up or, yeah, you know, you had other things that you wanted to do with your life. I mean, again, it's great, but it's just, you know, it's been cut off again. It's nobody's fault. You know, this is obviously, you know, the, uh, as a result of what's happening with the virus, but it's just, it's sad, even though obviously the sadder thing of this is what's happening with the disease and people dying. I think there are other stories that are also sad that can also be talked about. Um, but one thing that has been good, again, and we talked about this a little bit on last show, is you know some of the creativity that we've seen as a result of this kind of down period. And you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, being able to get in touch with you know people and other sides of you know things and your creativity. And one of the things we've seen on social media, Instagram particularly, like we saw DJ D Nice with the Club Quarantine, um, he's actually registered to trademark that, which I think is very smart. And then we've seen some producer battles like between Timbaland and Swiss Beats and Hit Boy and Boy Wanda. And there are a lot more of these kind of popping up. Neo, I think, was involved with 
and one, like a songwriter battle. What do you think about these kind of battles and have you been tuning into them at all? Uh, I've been tuning into some. Um, and obviously one thing that is, is great is I do feel like people are getting creative and there's a ton of content out there for whatever you're looking for. Um, if you can seek it out, you can find it. It's great that these people are providing opportunities for people to entertain themselves. And again, a reminder that, you know, in the digital world that we live in, um, being stuck at stuck at home, um, you can look at it one of two ways as an opportunity or a curse. And, and with, with all these digital outlets and these celebrities giving us all this free content that we would normally have to pay for, um, you can look at that as one of the benefits. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, you know, I've tuned into a couple of them, obviously, you know, Timbaland, Swiss Beef, Hip Boy Boy, one day as an artist, you know, I listen to those producers for decades, obviously now. And so just to kind of hear that has been really cool. And, and like you said, it's, it's pushing people's creativity to the limits, right? You know, it's not that you can't do the traditional stuff that you've done before to get people's attention. You know, I have to do other stuff, you know, and one of the things that I think is actually interesting about this kind of period of time is that, now a lot of us are kind of forced to tune in to a lot of the same things because there isn't as much content as there typically was. Um, and so the two kind of two things that I think one we've been forced to tune into and the other one that which we're all going to tune into probably regardless of when it drops, but it's this tiger King thing. I personally have not seen it yet, but I can't go five seconds on Twitter without seeing somebody talk about tiger King. I think you've talked, you've seen it. Just tell us what you're talking about. I don't know what it is. It's like, I guess this is like what a drug does to people, like an addictive drug. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once you start watching this thing, it's addictive. Like it's so beyond the realm of belief, but it's an actual true story wow. of these crazy tiger cults and zookeepers um, mm-hmm. that it just, it just keeps you engaged Um you know, how many like, series is it? Is it like a series or is it it's seven episodes? It's seven. Okay. It's a seven episode series. And so it follows a bunch of different um, essentially private zookeepers who um, basically exploit um, tigers and large cats. Um, and it shows like the their inner competition and all the shady bunch of characters and and the cult like atmospheres that exist. It's just. It's just fascinating that you know there are. Pockets. So is it worth watching? I mean, I haven't, I haven't watched. Oh, it's, it's definitely it's it's well worth watching. Okay, and especially you're during these times, ex- it's 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 entertaining. You know, and it'll get extended beyond this this one. I don't know. I don't okay. know. I don't know. But it's pretty much seven hours. If if you're bored and you're looking for stuff to do, there's seven hours of content right there that'll keep you enter- entertained and engaged and probably make you feel better about your life. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to check it out. And then the other thing that was announced, which I think is, you know, interesting, is the Michael Jordan docuseries, The Last Dance. It's been pushed up uh, to April 19th. It's going to air on, ES- on ESPN. And, you know, that that's th- them pushing it up, I think. I think it was supposed to air originally in the summer. Um, and, you know, I think it's like a 10 or 20 year documentary, basically, where they followed his life. And then interviews from everybody. I mean, every single person you could think of is involved in that. And there was a bunch of social media pressure once this that social distancing thing took place from everybody, you know, big names, you know, LeBron and, you know, the likes to try to get this thing pushed up. And ESPN obviously obliged. I think obviously one is 
you know, the public pressure and the hype. But I think the two is they, they need content. They need to keep eyeballs in there on their um, screens. And this is one of those things that this is kind of what I was mentioning earlier that, you know, in 2020, it's very unusual for all of us to be watching the same thing at the same time in real time. Right. Cause there's so yeah. many different outlets and there's so many different shows and, you know, whatever, but this is going to be one of those things that seems like I think pretty much everybody's probably going to be watching it. If, if anything shows the power of, of LeBron James over ESPN um, and their decision-making, it's this literally like 24 hours after he says it, it's, it's done. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, right. Right. But yeah. I think, you know, I, I think personally, you know, I wouldn't mind if it was a 20 part, 30 part, 40 part series. Yeah. Um, because it's really hard. I think, you know, I get a lot of flack because people don't think that I give LeBron the type of credit that he deserves. And it's not a knock on him. He is obviously objectively great and one of the greatest players ever to play. Um, but Michael Jordan kind of created the opportunity um, and the mentality for guys like Kobe and LeBron to mimic and follow. And they both they both have admitted um, as much. And I think it's it's useful for this generation Um who who probably don't know much be, about Michael Jordan beyond the sneakers because it's been almost 20 years since he's more than 20 years since he stepped foot on a basketball court. Um, so I think, I think, you know, just understanding the, the greatness and what this man put in to be the greatest of all time and why that, that's it. You just, yeah, you just said something that I think is very important is what he put in to be the greatest of all time. And I want to take it back, you know, a, a little bit to Michael Jordan's story you know, Michael Jordan, you know, he went to obviously he was one of the great basketball players in the country. Right. But he wasn't like people have revisionist history a little bit when they talk about Jordan. Right. Yeah. He you know, he played three years in North Carolina. Right. He didn't come out of high school like LeBron did or KG did or Moses Malone did. He played three and years. And he, he was he was game. cut from and he was cut from his high school team. Everyone he, knows that story. Yeah. He didn't make varsity. You know, he he wasn't the first pick in the draft. You know, yeah, he was top three, but he wasn't first pick. People didn't necessarily yeah. – it wasn't unanimous that he was the be- going to be the best player ever. And then he also went through trials and tribulations before he won. He went through the heartaches of losing, you know, to the Pistons, obviously, is the is the big one. And, and you know, you know through the stories of people saying he's a ball hawk and that he can't win and all that type of stuff, it wasn't like he just came in and immediately had success, um, at least from a, a winning and championship level. And then when he finally did get to the point where he was able to overcome those hurdles, he paid his dues, he put in the work, he became a champion, and he never really let go of it. And, and even at, at the peak, and, and the unique thing about him is at his peak, he had to deal with his father being murdered at the mm-hmm. peak of his and, – and going through the that process that, that many think is the reason that he had to walk away from the game. Yeah, um, and, and also to, he didn't – he wasn't there during the social media moment. And that's this to take it back to the docuseries a little bit. He wasn't really there during the social media area era. So there's probably a lot of gaps that, you know, us as fans, or, you know, even if you weren't a fan, even if you're a Jordan hater, there are probably a lot of gaps that are going to get filled in as we watch this docuseries. I mean, I think when it comes to like LeBron and even Kobe a little bit, we know almost every, it feels like we know every aspect of their lives pretty much. You know what I mean? Yes. Like there's certain things that could be filled in a little bit, but this one is going to be, you know, this one is one that we haven't seen. We're going to see stuff that we hadn't seen before. Yes. Yeah. Yes, so I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And the, ratings, the ratings are probably going to be, I, I can't even imagine how, how well ESPN is going to do by releasing this early. 
No, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. And, you know, it's funny. And actually, we've been talking about legends, you know, on our social media. We, you know, we've been posting a, a bunch of kind of throwback stuff. And we had a lot of stuff go viral, including um, this Bo Jackson tweet that we put out um, earlier this week or late last week. You know, the video of him when he was in, later in his career, when he was in Chicago and he threw somebody out all the way from you know the right field all the way to third base, not with without even crow hopping or anything and after a hip surgery and everything. And, um, you know, that video went viral. I mean, t- I think it got 260,000 views in a couple of days and. You know, Bomani Jones and a lot of other top sports people got involved and kind of created a whole conversation around Bo Jackson and, and his freakness and, and whether or not he's the greatest athlete of all time. So I ask you, V, you know, I mean, there are not really that many people that we can probably put in that conversation. I mean, they're really maybe 10. And Jordan is probably one of them. But they're probably, you know, 10 or less people that we can put in that conversation. Deion Sanders, you know, LeBron has to be in there. You know, Usain Bolt, you know, Jordan, Ser- you know, Serena. Tiger Woods, you know, where do you, how do you view Bo Jackson? Uh, I don't, I don't think Bo Jackson can, is even can be categorized with any other athlete that we've ever seen before because he was great at so many different things. God was in some sort of a special mood when he created this guy because he could have, you know, beyond baseball, first of all, being a two sport professional athlete and excelling at the level that he did at both, um, Everyone knows about that. I don't know if we'll ever see a two-sport professional athlete again. Deion Sanders. Uh, Deion Sanders, definitely. Yeah. Um, but the other thing about Bo Jackson is he actually qualified for the U.S. Olympic team coming out of high school. Um, I think he still owns a couple state records in like the high jump and triple jump. And then even after his career, he's like an archery champion now. Like, they said Dion was at Olympic speed too, though. I mean, I'm not. He was. Say, I'm not, I just. I think there's just a, there's a there's a there's a different level of freakism. Dion's number one attribute, obviously, he's a lockdown corner, right? Mm-hmm. But as baseball player, his attribute, his number one attribute, was speed. Stealing bases, yeah. And stealing bases. I yeah. mean, what we had in Bo Jackson, you know, everyone's playing anyone who everyone's seen the Tecmo Bowl videos, but that was literally what he did on the football field. Like, yeah, there, there's. There are books that have been written just of like these superhuman like anecdotes and little stories of Bo Jackson saving grounding kids and all kinds of crazy stuff that he was doing back then. That if it was happening during the social media era, I think the generation and and of course his hip injury, we definitely would be looking at Bo as as the greatest athlete of our time. And if he had a little bit more of a um, affable personality. That's one thing that yeah. he, he lacks is he's kind of, he's kind of a introvert and, and kind of an asshole. So. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, well, I think, I think Bo is probably the greatest athlete of all time, but I do think that we have seen some special athletes and talk to us on Twitter guys at pilot boys pod. Let us know what you think. You know, obviously Deion Sanders is, is has to be in the discussion. You know, he, he played two sports and people did say he was had Olympic speed and was a great basketball player. Randy Moss, another one, um, LeBron yeah. was all state at basketball. Allen Iverson all state at football. But I think I think it's it's simply it comes down to Dion and Bo because they both did it. They both actually they, did it. They yeah. actually did it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I think that's you know obviously that's an interesting conversation and we'll continue talking about that again on social media. Like I said, hit us up at Pilot Boys Pod. Let us know what you think. Want to switch gears real quick back to Netflix. Um, couple shows. One, let's talk about the Messiah. That show we talked about a little bit before. I absolutely love that show. You were the one that put me onto it. Uh, when I first started watching it, I did not realize that it was only one season. 
I don't know if I'm happy or not happy that I knew that when I started watching it. Um, but when I got to the end, I realized it was only one season. And then now it's just announced officially um, that they're not going to renew it. And that just drives me nuts. Yeah. I mean, they will ruin renew shows like the Tiger King, but shows like the Messiah frustrates me when you see shows like the Messiah that, that do have, have, have deep meaning and, and perspective um, for them not to gain the same type of, of traction as some of these more salacious shows. It's just well, kind of the times, times yeah, we live in, right? Yeah, you touched on it. I think it's not gaining the traction, right? Because obviously this has to be a numbers thing, right? If they had the numbers that justify whatever expense or whatever slot or whatever it is that metrics that they use to determine whether or not they're going to continue investing in something, they weren't able to hit those metrics, which is surprising to me um, given the quality of the show. But we also know people like us who've been in promotions for a long period of time, we know that it's not always just about the quality, right? It's also about its promotion, it's marketing, it's you know yep. um, timing, it's a lot of other things that go into it. Um, and hopefully, you know, I don't know if there's a way, you know, sometimes these movements happen on social media and people put enough pressure and some celebrities get involved and some money gets thrown in and all of a sudden they change their mind and they decide to renew. I'm hoping something like that happens with that show. Um, but I guess, you know, we'll see. And then Ozark, again, I, another show I have not seen, as you guys can probably tell, I'm not like Mr. Netflix, but I am starting to try to get involved. And I guess season three of Ozark just started. People are going crazy about it. I know you've watched that show. What's your thoughts on it? Um, it's it's one of the the best written and best acted shows um, on TV. I mean, Jason yeah. Bateman is the core character. I know many people have have gotten used to him as a comedic actor, um, but this show takes takes a more of a dramatic and serious turn. Um, as opposed to the glorification, we see a lot of movies and shows about the glorification of drug culture. This is more of a grassroots blue collar um take away take away the sex appeal of this thing and and show it for what it really is um and what is it is a crime is it crime what is it what give us a just a little bit of what yeah it is it is it is a crime um drug uh drug drug based show but not in the traditional sense um you really have to watch it um it takes place in a small sleepy town um away from the, the the big city um, and and the characters, the cast of characters, and and who they are in this in this small small town is um, it's just it's just you have to watch it. Okay, you, I, I, I definitely definitely gonna check it out. Yeah, I mean it's it's now like you said earlier, now's a good time to kind of catch up on the things that you missed out on. You know, I, I've been asleep at the wheel when it comes to a lot of shows that people talk about on Netflix and and Hulu and different places and. So now I'm going to catch up on it. But Ozark 3, just uh, season 3 just started. People are going crazy about it. I'm sick of seeing all these things on my timeline that I don't know about. So I'm definitely going to get involved. And uh, I guess the last thing on news and notes before we go is, you know, March 31st was the one-year anniversary of Nipsey Hussle's death. You know, rest in peace. Very tragic death. Again, he was shot to death right in front of his marathon store in L.A. last year um, by someone that he knew on uh, March 31st. And it's been a year, man. And, and you know, what do you feel like has happened? You know, obviously we're sad about it and we'll always mourn him. What do you feel like has happened in this year um, when it comes to Nipsey Hussle's legacy and impact kind of in society? I mean, I think as with most things, right, when it happened in the first month or so, um, you had a lot of people who joined the wave, right, because it was such a big story. Um, and you saw everyone posting about Nipsey Hussle and 
and naturally, um, over time, some of those those people drifted off like they always do. But I think there is a, a nice core group of people um, that you see that, that consistently um, took the messages that he was he was trying um, to, to 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 enlighten people with um, to heart and have applied it to their their own lives. And that's what you hope to leave with a legacy, you know. And especially during these times, there's a line. Um, that goes through my head often that he says um, in one of his songs where he says, we never let a hard time humble us. And that's what we're going through as a country right now. And, and I've revisited some of his music and to stay, to stay positive and to stay ambitious through, through dark times is, is kind of the story of his, of his life. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that this is a marathon. Um, right. So th- th- those are my takeaways and my, and my feelings. I don't know what, what how you feel about his continued legacy and what and what what you feel like you're saying. Well, I mean, the thing that's that's so amazing to me. First of all, it's amazing how many interviews he did, right? And how many and and not just how many interviews he did, but the type of gems that he dropped in the interviews that he did. In fact, a lot of the interviews that you see posted of him now are not really about the music. I mean, obviously they always relate to the music a little bit, but it's about life. You know, yep. one thing that I love about him is that he kept his story very real. He was never trying to be someone who he wasn't. He was never denying his past. Uh, he was actually trying to use his past in a lot of ways as a tool to to fuel him towards towards greatness, right? And and and, and enlightenment. And so he left us so many gems. And one thing that I definitely see um, is that a lot of people who were never exposed to him are now being posting quotes of his and posting uh you know clips of, of his videos or clips of his interviews and i think that he's really touched a lot of different people the more his story kind of comes out and people hear about the things he was trying to do in the community and things he was trying to do for the next generation and you know stem you know stem programs he was starting and the way he operated his business and so on and so forth i think he's really really left a mark and um it continues to grow daily so yeah, one of the great one of the great takeaways from him, and one thing that stood out to me is that even as a celebrity, he seemed to be someone who constantly stayed humble and constantly sought knowledge, and didn't fall in love with the attention of celebrity. It was he had a goal beyond being famous, um, and, and and that's what made him famous. Um, and that's and, and exactly that's right. that's what's really special about him. Absolutely, and so you know, again, it's been a year. Uh, since Nipsey Hussle's passing, R.I.P. Nipsey, we will continue to rock and rep you indefinitely. And um, obviously, we, we pray for Lauren London. Marathon continues. The marathon continues. Thanks. You're listening to Pilot Boys Podcast. That's the end of news and notes. That's all we have for today's show. Big thanks to our guest, Dr. O.K. Onyejekwe. Thanks to everybody for listening. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Subscribe to the Pilot Boys Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Patreon, and YouTube. And please follow us on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter and at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And follow the hosts on Twitter. I am at Mechadon Music and V is at The Swan. And don't forget to grab some Pilot Boys wristbands at shop.pilotboys.com. Always remember, be you. You is fly. Pilot Boys out. Where the Pilot Boys at? Pilot Boys, we get on up.